I love the artwork the children have done. Len, are you ready to start a, a museum for these pictures? The uh, Museum of Family Camp Art. In fact, just what, while you're getting these out, I've gotten more submissions for the picture of the idol on the plain of Dura. This is a, this is a technicolor statue. That's the only one I got for the, on the plain of Dura. My favorite one, though, this is someone who has a sense for a pun. Draw a picture of the idol on the plain of Dura. And the idol is on a plain entitled Dura. Did you do that one? You're in awe. <laughs> you can't have this one. I'm taking this back to Franklin Square. <laughs> the elders see this and say, what did you teach these people out in California? Said, well, you know, that's California. I mean, they do things differently out there. All right, that's right. And I've really got too many pictures of the fingers on the wall to show you, but my favorite one is this. You've got all these characters up here, one going, oh, my lip. Oh boy, and uh, number I think Calvin did this one. That's 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 quite a good one for last night. So in children, you can be working as soon as you want on the uh, on the one for tonight. I'm keeping the plane of Dura one. <laughs> you know, I uh, I was wondering what books to mention tonight. I'm kind of running running out of ideas for books here. And I thought, boy, what themes in Daniel, you know, if we got books on the book table that, that deal with, and I thought, you know, one of the themes that's interesting is fear. You know, Nebuchadnezzar's afraid, and Belshazzar's afraid, and even Daniel gets afraid and faints. So I thought, oh, here's some good things you can push. Elise Fitzpatrick, overcoming fear, worry, and anxiety. There you go. So there's one that deals with a theme. And I've not read Elise Fitzpatrick's book, but uh, all the comments have been good. So overcoming fear, worry, and anxiety. And then, given what happened to all of these kings from Babylon and so forth, I thought Erwin Lutzer's book, Conquering the Fear of Failure, there, that, that might be a good one for them, Keys to Victorious Christian Living, although this is from the life of Joshua. Okay, artwork, books. Now, tomorrow, um, we will meet now... Bill, at 9.15, we meet again tomorrow, correct? We meet at 9.15. Okay, 9.15, but it's 9.30. I'm still on two years ago schedule. Uh, 9.30 we'll meet, and we'll go till 10.30. I have a handout for those of you who will be here on Daniel 9, 24 to 27, and I'm going to try to go through that very quickly, let you study it. It's all there in print. You can look at it. I've already had one question submitted to me, and a question I very much appreciate uh, that I want to take time to deal with. And what I'd like you to do, if you have some pressing questions you'd like to write out, um, if you'd write them out and give them to me tonight, I will try to cover as many of them as I can tomorrow, depending on how many come. Uh, so for any questions you'd like to deal with, we can do it then. Um, now, children, I have a quiz for you. Now, don't, are you starting your artwork already? Did you get your picture done already? You did. All right. That's fast artwork. But let me tell you, since, since Alan mentioned a, a catechism story, do I have till 8.30, or do we have... I do, okay. I've got to tell you my favorite catechism story, um, at least from the Shisco family. The, uh, well, I, my favorite catechism story prior to the Shisco catechism story 
was one from Franklin Square when one of our teachers, who's now with the Lord, Mrs. Wallace, was teaching the children in Sunday school, and she asked the question of the little children, what does every sin deserve? And one little boy raised his hand and said, a good spanking. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, another good catechism story, this isn't mine either, but this is one that I learned in seminary. It was at my pastor's, our pastor's home, and he was catechizing his little, his little son, Trevor. And he said, Trevor, <clears throat> um, of what was the body of Adam made? And he said, God made the body of Adam out of the ground, and he formed Eve from the bottom of Adam. <laughs> Biology student. This is my favorite one. A few years ago, to show you the kind of trouble you can get into in New York, a few years ago, when there was a, uh, a court case that was coming out of Pittsburgh regarding regulation of the Internet, there were discussions across the country from different people about um, belief regarding how the Internet should be regulated. And one of our deacons in the church was painting the home of a lady who happened to be a reporter for a certain Long Island newspaper whose name I've mentioned once too many times already. And she knew that this fellow Keith was a Christian, and uh, she said to him, um, do you know any Christians who would have any particular viewpoints about this Internet legislation or Internet legal case? And Keith said, always wanted to get his pastor some prominence. He said, oh, my pastor's interested in that. He could, he's always got an opinion about everything. And he said, you could interview him and ask him about it. So I get a call from this reporterette from this newspaper, and um, she wanted to know my viewpoint. Now, I said to her, and I'll give you my own personal opinion. I don't have a website with my own personal opinion. I'm going to give you my own personal opinion on this legislation. I said, personally, I have a real problem with the government trying to regulate the Internet, number one, because they can't do it, and number two, because I fear what's going to happen if they do try to regulate things. They could regulate things that are acceptable, and you have censorship. And my basic position was what we need is not more laws about the Internet, but more punishment for people that misuse it. Of course, we're not a country that punishes anything, and so we try to have laws to regulate things. That was the gist of it. And so this article comes out in Newsday, and actually pitting my opinion, and I didn't realize this till the time, over against another member of the church in Franklin Square who worked with computers who had a different viewpoint. So here's the spin, this Orthodox Presbyterian church with this pastor believing one thing and a man the other. Two days later, I get a telephone call. And I, uh, I get a call from a lady, and she says, Hi, we're from Channel 11 in New York City, television station. And she said, we'd like to come to interview you, because I'd also made the comment in there that we've got to begin with family government and self-government. And she said, we were interested in this. How do you seek to govern your family uh, in a way that you can deal with these issues? And so I told her a little bit, and she said, well, we'd really like to come out and interview you. And we would like to, because I mentioned we catechize the children and teach them Bible and dinner and so forth and so on. Well, she said, could we interview you? I said, sure. I said, when? She said, we could come out in two hours. Well, Margaret... Boy, I'll tell you, as quick as she is, it was double quick with the children getting everything ready for dinner. So we had the interview and so on, and it was really a very, a very good interview. So they said, well, we'd like to film you at dinner having devotions. I mean, not that there's anything unnatural about having devotions when you've got TV cameras here watching you with lights. But we did it. We had the children, the younger children, the ones not working. I think Stephen was about maybe five at that time. This was about five years ago. So this thing is set, and they're over here in the corner, and I'm at the table trying to be natural, doing catechism with the children, saying to myself, this is amazing. A New York City television station 
is, 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 is watching him. And you wonder how the Lord uses Daniels in our day. This is what it's like. This is an Orthodox Presbyterian family, Protestants using the catechism. So they got the camera on us. I said to Stephen, now Stephen, um, you know who made you God? What else did God make? And so forth. Um, uh, in how many persons does this God exist, Stephen? And Stephen says, in three persons. And I said, Stephen, what are they? And without any cant at all, he looks right at the camera and says, the Father, the Mother, and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So I looked at at the camera and said, do you know what, what deposition is? Because <laughs> if this gets out, guess what my presbytery is going to do? So they did not air that. On, actually, part of it went on national news a little bit later. But, but uh, anyway, so that's my favorite catechism story. And I'm sure Tom Tyson can top that. Oh, my. I'll tell you. You really have to have a wonderful sense of humor to be a believer. I'll tell you. But it's... Uh, Okay, where, where are we in this thing? 30, page 30, is that where it is? Or 31? 31, okay, the evening session. Oh yeah, Daniel in the lion's den. Ah, okay. And children, you can begin drawing a picture of Daniel in the lion's den at any point that you want. And parents, um, there's verses that I'd like you to teach your children tonight. They've got any energy left to memorize after all the sports. Ah, but we've got a quiz to do. I didn't forget. Let's pray first. Father in heaven, we thank you for the refreshments that you have given us in these days together. We thank you, our Lord, for the privilege of fellowship and exercise and uh, good, healthy competition with one another. We thank you for the bonds of fellowship that we have from various churches, not only in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, but with our brothers and sisters in the Presbyterian Church in America, and even the fellowship we have with other believers here at this camp. We thank you for the privilege that we have and the freedom of our land to study your word and to learn it. And we pray, our Lord, that you once again, by the Spirit, will minister to us this evening. Encourage us in the things of grace and stir us unto new aspects of the new obedience that is in Christ Jesus, in whom we pray. Amen. What's the meaning of Belshazzar? Yes. Uh, Stephen. I got it. Stephen DeRue. May Baal protect, or Bell or Baal protect the king. Very good. Stephen. Did Baal protect the king? No. That's an easy one. Okay. Question number two. What army was advancing on Babylon? Yes. The Persian army. Oh, you're sharp tonight. That's great. What does the word mene mean? Yes, van. Numbered. Excellent. What does the word tekel mean? Uh, you've already gotten one already, Stephen. Yes. Way. Excellent. Very good. Your moms and dads know what it is to tekel every day. Sadly, we tekel more and more with every year that goes by. What does ufarsin mean? It's a plural of peretz. Yes. No. Not quite. Yes. 
Divide. That's right. Good. To divide, to divide up in pieces. Excellent. True or false? A hand wrote these words on the wall. Yes. False. It was just what? Fingers. Okay, here we go. Last question. What happened to Belshazzar? You've already... Well, all right. Go ahead. Ben, I, sorry, Ben, I didn't call on you yet tonight. What happened? By the way, I'll give you the microphone if it'll reach. The Persian army killed them during the night. How did the Persian army get into the capital of Babylon? They had a dam to stop the water. Do you remember what river? You were going to say Euphrates. Right? You got it. And what did the troops do? And how did they get into the city? They went in on the dry waterbed, right? Got it. Excellent. Very good. Hey, that's great. That's super. I can tell you're all tired. There's not quite the electricity that there was last night. Maybe we can seek to see a little bit come up. You young people are doing great. And it's a real encouragement to see your interest in the things of the Lord. Okay, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. Bill? Bill, could you get me some water? Don't waste cups. And we'll work to be done at 8.30. I'm interested to hear your talents in the talent show. The mark of a Christian is that a Christian is a person of prayer. When the man Saul was converted that he might become Paul, the way Ananias was to find him, he was described as the one who prays. Behold, he prays. As a baby comes out of the womb crying, so those who experience new birth are made to cry to their Father in heaven. And for you children, prayers are really a rather simple thing. In the same way you talk to your mommy and daddy and bear your concerns to them and seek their advice, you speak to your Father in heaven. So Christians pray. Prayer is the most powerful weapon in the Christian arsenal. When we get to heaven, we will realize how powerful that weapon was and how poorly and how little we used it. One who had observed Christianity in a better day and saw the power of a church at prayer, one who was not a believer, said this, I had rather stand against the canons of the wicked than against the prayers of the righteous. By prayer, in the Scriptures, battles are won. People are released from prison. The dead were raised. And the Son of God faced hell. None of these happened apart from prayer. And frankly, I really find it quite sad approaching this text, dealing with the plot against prayer. Because American Christians have done more harm to prayer by their own lethargy and worldliness than what any government has ever done to prayer by its decree. It's not so much an indictment of the U.S. Supreme Court in its decision that we should have, but rather I think we should indict our own indifference that prayer means so little to us. There are some people who would tackle this topic and that would be the main theme that they would develop. And that's not the main theme that I want to make. In Daniel 6, I don't think that is the main theme. But I think that it should be something laid heavily in our conscience that what the decrees of kings 
have never been able to do. A worldly church is already accomplished. We are already very, very much a people who are all too prayerless. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom, that is now the kingdom of Persia, 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. The $64,000 question is, who is this Darius? And there are various views. The one I think that is most acceptable is that Darius was a title that was used. In fact, there were five different leaders who had the title of Darius in Persia, and the term roughly means holder of the scepter. Most believe that this was one of the Persian leaders known as a man named Gabaru, Darius being the title, Gabaru not used in the text, but Gabaru being his name. He was made the governor of a portion of Babylon by Cyrus, who was the king of Persia. So in a real sense, this Gabaru Darius was a governor of the land of Babylon. It is at this time, we read, that over these areas, the satraps were various governors, various cabinet officials with authority, because Persia, like Babylon, was very well organized. These kingdoms took up the good things of the previous one in the other. And over these, three governors, of whom Daniel was one. Darius at the top, three under him, Daniel being one of the three, and then under them, 120 satraps. Now remember that Daniel, usually when you see pictures of Daniel in the lion's den, you see a boy of about 15 or 16 years old. That's why pictures shouldn't make our theology for us. Remember that Daniel is about 81 years of age at this point. And that bears on an application for seniors at the end. This was another test of God's faithfulness of Daniel. And there's a lesson in that. God does not let up on the tests that He will bring into your life. There's no end to the Christian warfare in the church militant until we are ushered into the church triumphant. George Mueller, godly man who was involved in the formation of so many orphanages in England, a man known to all for his holiness, in the last years of his life prayed regularly, Lord, deliver me from apostasy in my latter days. You will never, as a Christian, not struggle with temptation, and you will never not be tested by the power of the evil one in the hand of the Lord. This was arguably Daniel's last great test as a believer. Daniel is one of these. The satraps were to give account to Daniel and the other two so that the king would suffer no loss. One of the themes we've learned in Daniel is the tremendous insecurity of kings. The Lord Jesus is the king of kings has no insecurity at all. He governs the blow of every leaf, of every tree, everywhere, and is not unsettled by anything. Kings of the earth are unsettled by everything. They must deal with something called total depravity. People who will deceive them, people who will seek to destroy them, in this case, people who would seek to steal from them, not giving them the tax revenue that is their due. And here, even in that little phrase, you see the stark contrast between the serene governing king of kings and the shaking and quivering and trembling leaders of the earth. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps 
He was distinguished above all of the others because an excellent spirit was in him. The same the queen mother had seen, people continued to see in this 81-year-plus man who was a man of God. So excellent was that spirit in Daniel, living and serving under a pagan, as many of you do, working for unbelievers. Daniel was honest. He was a good man. He was a faithful man. He was a gracious man. He was a meek man. He was a kind man. He was a joyous man. There was an excellent spirit that people saw in believing Daniel, just as they ought to see an excellent spirit in you. Now the gospel must be presented in word. We don't say that deeds are a substitute for word. But your words will mean very little, if anything, if there's not an excellent spirit in you. Your lives are thousands of sermons to the people that see you. Daniel's excellent spirit was a thousand sermons to many leaders, including that king. So excellent that he thought to make him the prime minister, to set him over the whole kingdom. The book of Proverbs says, you see a man skilled in his work. He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Daniel skilled in his work and had grown in grace and he stood before kings. And I hope you have enough faith to believe that even in our own day there will be believers who do that. Believers like some in the White House today who are the speech writers for President George W. Bush. And while that's not the only place a Christian can serve, Daniel teaches us, among other things, that is a place where a believer can serve. What a testimony he has. But there was jealousy because of this Jew, this one who had been taken captive years before, this one who had been a slave. So the governors and satraps, knowing that this one might become prime minister, sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. It ought to make you think of another against whom there would be no charge and no fault that could be found because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Even as Paul in Colossians 3 and verse 22 says, Whatever you do in your work, do it heartily unto the Lord and not unto men, fearing God, even as you serve your masters. Daniel was faithful to his God and what he did. He was faithful. Nothing could be found in him. Then these men said, We're not going to find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Brothers and sisters, it's interesting how the world, in its spite and in its depravity, will very cleverly and subtly seek to use the graces and the convictions of Christians to destroy their influence. A medical doctor or a nurse who wants to serve in the profession of helping the bodies of people told that they cannot be licensed in a particular place unless they will perform or be involved with the performing of the killing of the unborn by abortion. A way to marginalize Christians in the public sphere. 
being told that you cannot serve as a professor in a place of American higher education if you do not have a degree from a university that has been certified by a particular accrediting agency seeking to marginalize Christians who have acted out of godly conviction in the education of their children. Young people, you go to certain universities and you want to be part of a fraternity. Nothing wrong in itself. But they know you're a Christian. And they want to see the stuff that you're made out of. And so if you want to be a part of this fraternity or this sorority, you're people who pray. Then we want to hear you pray in the name of the devil. That's your initiation. Now do you see the way a wicked world will not infrequently work with Christians? And I'm sure you could give your own examples of the way in which the graces of Christians are used to destroy their influence. You see, these people are very clever. Persians were praying people. You can tell from this text that they put a big esteem on prayer regardless of the one to whom you pray. Because the Persians had a belief that prayer connected you with the gods and that's where your power came from. They believed that's where their power came from to devour the Babylonians and their gods. And Daniel prayed to a strange god. But obviously that god had given him some power because he had an excellent spirit in him. And so they will impale Daniel on the horns of a dilemma. We'll arrange it so that Daniel might stop praying to his God and lose his power. Or we'll fix it so that if he prays to his God, he'll lose his life. And either way, we'll win and be rid of this man who is a burr in our side. So these governors and these satraps, the two other than Daniel and the others, the 120, all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps and others, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All, all, all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for thirty days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, folks, if you've got to have an edict to pray for thirty days to a certain god in order to get blessing, and it's only going to last for thirty days, then you know it's kind of a silly kind of a type of prayer anyway. But the pernicious word is all. Daniel was the one who was basically second to the king. And you would assume that if all means anything, all would also have included Daniel. And so Darius conceivably could have understood this as Daniel himself says. There should be a petition. Anyone or a decree. Anyone who petitions a god or man, any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Well, regardless of what the king thought, or whether he believed Daniel was involved in it, he is told, Now, O king, establish the decree 
and signed the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. That little phrase, phrase, laws of Medes and the Persians, meant exactly what's referred to here. When the law is established, you don't change it. Because words did mean things to them. Remember, the Word of God came in a culture in which the words of kings meant things. And if the words of a pagan king or pagan kings meant things, how much more do the words of God Himself mean things? And therefore, vain and weak Darius signed the written decree. Darius, like Belshazzar, like Nebuchadnezzar, exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Even though he had seen Daniel, in whom there was an excellent spirit of faithfulness, Darius worshipped and served himself more than the Creator. He vainly really thought he himself was God. Daniel now is going to be in deep trouble because he's going to die if he prays. The Bible says all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And that's what's going to come. In verses 10 through 18, Daniel is going to go into the lion's den. Note verse 10. This is another one of these verses for the children to memorize. Have this in your mental arsenal for when challenges come. Now Daniel, knowing that the writing was signed, Daniel had heard, for thirty days you pray to any other god or any other man other than the king, and you'll be cast into the den of lions. Daniel knew that. The edict had been issued. It was signed. It was law. And the clock was ticking. Knowing that the writing was signed, He went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Daniel was a good covenant child. His mother and dad had taught him, in accordance with the words of the Psalms, Morning and noon and night, I will pray to you, O God. And he was a literalist. Morning, noon, and night, he prayed. And we can look at that and say, ah, it's just a habit. Well, you've all got habits, folks. This happened to be a very good one. Daniel opened his windows toward Jerusalem. Daniel was really a citizen of another kingdom. He was not first a citizen of Babylon. He was a citizen of Israel and a citizen of the Jerusalem that's from above. Do you know what had already happened prior to this? Cyrus had issued a decree. The Israelites could go back to Jerusalem. They could rebuild the temple and rebuild the city. And Daniel knew that. Daniel was too old to go back, but as you'll learn tomorrow morning, he had prayed earnestly that God would be merciful and would let the Israelites go back and let the temple be built that the glory of God might once again come there and that Jerusalem might be established and be made a praise in the earth. And he prayed for that. And no doubt as he looked toward Jerusalem, toward the east, toward the west in this case, his heart was set 
on the place that was his real home. And he knew those people needed his prayers. And so just as it was his custom, he went in his upper room. His windows were open. Everyone could see. So he could see Jerusalem. Not to show, but that was an emblem to him. Even as many of us pray with our Bibles open, being reminded of the promises that are there. Daniel prayed looking toward Jerusalem with a reminder cascading in on him of all of the promises that would come to the Jerusalem of God. He prayed. He perhaps prayed for the king. Perhaps he prayed the edict would be reversed. He may have prayed for his own protection. But he also gave thanks before his God, not the king, just as was his custom since early days. This is godly disobedience. If you were told by the state not to do something God has told you to do. Respectfully, you go ahead and you do what God told you to do. That's exactly what Daniel did. Now think of all the things that he could have said. He could have said, that's only just 30 days. And I can stop praying for 30 days. And have you not prayed for 30 days? What's the big deal? After 30 days, I can do it again. And besides, what harm will it do? If I don't pray publicly, I just pray silently. Nobody will know the difference. But as a good covenant child, he'd been taught to do it differently. And he didn't see any reason to change. He hadn't been asked to deny his faith. He hadn't even been asked to bow down to an idol. Can't you honor this decree? No, the Lord said pray. And so Daniel prayed. But brothers and sisters, don't you see this as just personal? This is the battle of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. The kingdom of darkness wanted to put out the light of prayer and of grace. Daniel represented the kingdom of light and he wasn't going to give in. The young girl at Columbine High School who learned this lesson herself. As mad young men given over in the providence of God to their own wicked lusts, with their guns go through the room. A young girl down on her knees praying, beseeching God, no doubt, for mercy. And she's told, stop your praying or we'll shoot. And she didn't stop praying. And her soul is with Jesus today. This is real stuff, young people. Very real. She'd been taught to pray. And she did. Daniel had been taught to pray, and he did. Faithfulness to God for Daniel was more important than his own life. And my friends, if you're a Christian, that ought to be your conviction. My faithfulness to my God is more important than my own hide. And God says, whoever honors me, I will honor. Godly disobedience. And notice how tranquil Daniel is. He doesn't seem to be shaking. He doesn't seem to be nervous. Be faithful unto death, Daniel. I'll give you a crown of life. Daniel saying, I must obey God rather than man. I must obey God rather than man. And I remind you again, while apparently everybody else in Babylon was in bondage or in Persia was in bondage, Daniel was absolutely free. He was free in serving his God. Well, in verses 11 through 15, let's find out about Daniel's friends. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying. No doubt they knew that he prayed morning, noon, and night. And they're going to see. Imagine what they'd said if he didn't pray. See, 
He didn't believe in his God anyway. But they did find him praying and making supplication before his God. Apparently he was so earnest in his prayers, perhaps even uttering them orally, they knew that he was supplicating God. And so they went before the king, these good friends of Daniel, and they spoke concerning the king's decree. And notice the way they put it. Oh king, haven't you signed a decree? Don't we vaguely remember that there's a decree that you just signed a few hours ago? Good friends, right? Tattletales. Haven't you signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? king answered and said, The thing is true according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Thus says Darius. So they answered and said before the king, and notice how snide again they are, just like Belshazzar. That Daniel, who's one of the captives from Judah, even though he'd been in Babylon for 65-some years and was almost second to the king. Remember he was a slave? He doesn't show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you've signed, but he makes his petition three times a day. Daniel was probably praying for that king. That didn't make any difference. He prays in defiance of your order. And when the king heard these words, he was greatly displeased with himself. You be careful of the decisions that you make in life. He was tied up and bound in his own net. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him because he loved Daniel. Do you realize that people who hate your Lord may still have deep affection for you? Sometimes Christians think that if they're not hated by everybody, they're not faithful. He respected Daniel. He set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he strove, he labored, he looked for provisions in the law until the going down of the sun that he might deliver this one who is the one he would have as his closest advisor. It's amazing how a pagan will honor a Christian or a believer when too often one Christian will stab another Christian in the back without thinking about it. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it's the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. And because kings must live out of their words, even as God lives out of His word, the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, He'll deliver you. He said more than many believers believe about God. He had seen in the faithfulness of Daniel a living, walking monument, a testimony to the true and the living God. And he had more confidence in God than many believers do. What a wonderful testimony. Do people say that of you? Your God, whom you serve continually, that's a true believer. 
People who serve the Lord God all the time in their homes, in their work, as they travel to work, in their neighborhoods, in their civic associations, in their schools, and in their churches. Your God, whom you serve continually, He will deliver you. And then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. Now notice the language. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Doesn't that sound like something that would come up? Don't you see in the contours of verses 1 through 17 something of a greater Daniel who would come? Another assembly organized against another obedient one who had the Spirit of God in him. We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Christ's obedience put in his worst light even as Daniel's was. Don't you see another law? We have a law, and by that law he ought to die. Don't you see another vacillating king? Pilate sought to release him. What evil has he done? But the Jews cried out, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. He speaks against Caesar. Don't you see another sentence rendered? He delivered Him unto them to be crucified. Don't you see another den with another seal and another stone to secure another righteous one in His death? Because the Old Testament doesn't want you to have your faith in Daniel. At the very point that you would see Daniel as almost a paragon of perfection, the Bible is so given that it says to us, look ahead, look ahead. Look ahead at the greater Daniel, Daniel's own Lord. And even as there was an effort to secure and destroy him, and it was vain, so the effort to destroy Daniel's Lord was just as vain. Daniel foreshadowed a far greater Daniel to come. Now verse 18 is interesting because you've got to think about Daniel. There's no screams in that den. There's no roars either. That should have given people a clue. There's no cries from Daniel in that den. He's absolutely quiet. My guess is that Daniel slept pretty well. Not the king. Now during those hours, possibly as many as ten, now the king went to his palace and he spent his night fasting. And no musicians were brought before him. But his sleep went from him. People thought that the, the lions would have a feast. Meanwhile, the king fasted. What a morning to remember, verses 19 through 28. Then the king arose very early in the morning. And I'm sure he did because he didn't get much sleep. And wouldn't you love to have been here to see this? You could go back in a time machine and see this. And he went in haste to the den of lions, this massive thing that had an opening at the top and in the front, even as did the furnace of that time. He went in haste to the garden tomb of the Old Testament, even as later some other would go in haste to a tomb. 
And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. He is grieved. He is shaken. He is grieved with himself. He is angry with himself. He is fearful of what had become of his friend. And he spoke saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, not the idols, the servant of the God who lives and acts and works. Daniel, not servant first of a pagan king. What a great title for a believer. Servant of the living God. Can they say that of you? Can you put your first name in front of that? And have people around you say, your first name, servant of the living God. That's the way you want to live. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lion? And I'll bet if there was a pause, it seemed like an eternity. But if there was a pause, it wasn't very long. Because coming from the den of lions, it is the voice of Daniel who says to the king, O king, live forever. And if Daniel had prayed for the grace of God in that king, then he meant exactly what he said. O king, you who have seen me as I have served the living God who saves his people because of my love for you, I would that you would live forever as well. O king, may this miracle that you see, a miracle of the grace of God, impress upon you that you also should believe this God and live forever. That's the call of evangelism, folks. Oh, friends, live forever. Live forever. Live forever. My God sent His angel and shut the lion's mouths. Daniel, who had been brought up under the greatest hymnody, the Psalms, and it is the greatest hymnody, had learned in Psalm 91, He will give His angels charge concerning you to guard you in all of your ways, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. And God was wont to make His people under age see how these things were true very literally. His angels had come and given charge concerning Daniel. And these hungry lions had operated against nature by a miraculous work of God through the instrumentality of angels who closed their mouths while Daniel could sleep quietly and have the strength, 80-plus-year-old man that he was, for the labors of his next day. They shut the lions' mouths so that they'd not hurt me because I was found innocent before him, even as another one would be raised from the dead because it was impossible for the grave to hold the innocent one. And also, O King, P.S., I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't done anything wrong against you. Notice his order. I am innocent before my God. I did not pray to anyone else other than Him. Even unto this test, I've been faithful. But, O King, even in disobeying your order, I haven't done wrong against you. To disobey an unlawful order of a king is not to do wrong before a king who will be judged for his unlawfulness. And now the king was exceedingly glad. Interestingly, just a little note on that. 
You know, miracles in the Bible are intrusions into history of what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. That's why when Jesus does miracles, people see. And even as in heaven, there shall be no blindness at all, and there's no lameness, and there's no death, and there's no leprosy. Those miracles interposed in history, including even raising from the dead the blessings of new heavens and new earth. And they did in the Old Testament as well. Because in a consummate sense, in the new heavens and new earth, the lion and the lamb will lay down together. Here the lion and one of the Lord's lambs were together in absolute harmony. You have a wonderful intrusion of what God shall do when they shall no longer hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. He saw a little bit, did the king, of a glory that would come. And the king was exceedingly glad for him. And he commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury was found on him because he believed in his God. Hebrews 11.33, by faith, he stopped the mouths of lions. Yes, it is God, but Daniel believed in that God. Yes, it is Christ, but it is Daniel who believed in that Christ who was to come. And God, who loves to honor the faith of His people, said, Daniel, you honored me. I honor you. And I do it by sending a special angel emissary to stop the mouths of the lion. But you know, with all salvation, there's judgment. Do you realize that? That one who will crush the head of the devil is the one also, the one who's, who is, the one whose heel would be bruised is the one who would also crush the head of the devil. And whenever the blessings of redemption come, there's also judgment. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel. And they cast them into the den of lions. Boy, what a change that must have been in that government. Them and their children and their wives. God is a covenant God. He works on covenant blessing to you and your children and covenant curse to you and your children. And remember those lions had been many hours without eating and they were already hungry when Daniel was cast in. They had real Tony the Tiger appetites. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. I remind you, my dear brothers and sisters, we live in a culture that loves the pleasant things of the Bible, but not the hard things. But when God says, Behold my goodness, He also says, Behold my severity. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. The tables, once again, are turned. And then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. This is still in Aramaic. It could be read by all the nations of the known world at that time. Peace be multiplied to you. I would have fullness of blessing come to all of you. Now I make another decree. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Why did he do that? In part... Because the only way you could override a previous decree was by another one that overrode it. With respect to that other one, my new decree, and throughout the kingdom, 
His people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. He doesn't say it's his God yet. But he at least acknowledges that God, as I would suggest all the rulers of the earth need to do. For he is the living God, and he is steadfast. He keeps his promises forever. His kingdom is the one which will not be destroyed, and His dominion shall endure to the end. We have seen the destruction of Babylonia, and we will see the destruction of Persia, but this God is one who never changes. Crowns and thrones may perish. Kingdoms rise and wane. But the church of Jesus, not constant but advancing, will remain. He delivers and He rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. This is a little prefiguring of the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The Scriptures move irrevocably like a powerful river to that last day. And He'll even use a pagan king to seek to see people do that. Remember that the world has never, looking at your syllabus, had the last word. Here's victory number seven. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of of Cyrus the Persian. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Israel vanquished. Daniel taken captive. Covenant child brought out of his land. All is hopeless. I'm sure his parents thought that. Daniel outlived pagan kings. And he was the instrument by which they bowed before Israel's God. Behold your God, brothers and sisters. Two lines of application as we close tonight. To the seniors who are in here, Daniel was 81 years old. It's a good lesson about seniors. We need the faithful examples of aged Daniels. There's nothing like them in all of the Scriptures. And to you dear seniors in here, the greatest test of your earthly pilgrimage will sometimes come at the very end of your life. But your God, who's upheld you to this point, will continue to uphold you. That's Daniel's lesson to you. You continue to be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. That's the lesson here. Faithful unto the end. And He'll give you a crown of life. Never, ever, ever give up. It is one of the greatest blessings to me here and in the church in Franklin Square and every place I go to see people like Mr. Tuggy and also to see folks like the Garrisees and others who are here. Because I know what it's like at my point in life to wonder at points where you're going to get the grace for the next day. These Daniels are living monuments to you that went old in the Christ of Scripture you still bear fruit and flourish fresh and green. 
And even as this king marveled at that great cedar Daniel, marvel at the grace of God in these aged Daniels that come. But aged Daniels, the test still come, but the Lord will be faithful. And then second, a message to youth. I call upon you to have true faith in Daniel's God and in Daniel's Lord. I wish someone had given me that message when I was your age. That there really is a living God of heaven who really acts and He really speaks in Holy Scripture and He really confirms His words and He really came in the flesh in Jesus Christ and He really reigns and you've really had the privilege to learn about Him. Have faith in Daniel's God and in the Babylon of this world, having learned about this despised, rejected, but exalted and reigning Daniel and Jesus, dare to be a Daniel. That's what it's all about. Dare to be a Daniel and dare to stand alone. And you have that conviction in our day that thinks this is so weird. When you know God says something in His book, it's real simple. We have no need to answer you, O King. God has said it, and we're going to do it. I love the movie Chariots of Fire. I just, if Billy Graham Evangelistic Association had done it, I think they would have ruined it. It took some people like Darius, some pagans, to do it and do it right. My favorite section in that movie, although it's somewhat apocryphal, but at least it connects, gets the gist of Eric Little's life, is right smack in the middle of that movie. Eric Little finds out that if he is going to run in the heats to prepare him for the Olympics, in his field of expertise, he's going to have to do it on Sunday. And he was a good Presbyterian. He wasn't going to do it. And in that magnificent section in that movie, you have the Duke of Windsor and you have other leaders of England and they are incensed. Because this Eric Little was a subject of the British Empire. And he had been selected to represent Britain and all of its glory in the Olympics. And as Eric Little is there, one of the lords, Lord Gaduggan, and I think they made that guy eat lemons for about three hours before he did that part. He looked so sour, it just made me feel bitter in my mouth when I watched him. He looked and he said, When I was a boy, it was king first and God second. And Eric Little said, God raises up kings and empires and brings them down. And that God ordained the Sabbath and said it was His. And I, for one, intend to keep it that way. Young people, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. God says, this is the victory that overcomes the world. In the midst of powerful, beastly empires. In the midst of forces that will threaten to destroy you. Eric Littles and Daniels always win. You with God always make a majority in any community. Dare to be a Daniel. And you'll live to share in Daniel's victory in Christ's. This is the victory that overcomes 
the world. Your faith in the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Amen. Let's sing hymn number 81. I'm wondering, Nancy, if you can make your way up here.